Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, lovely listeners. It's Dr. Lucy again this week. And do you know what? I am again without Dr. Mary because I have the most wonderful guest who I think will impart some incredible gems of knowledge to you. And I would love to introduce my friend and colleague, Dr. Kate Grigorovic. Kate is a geriatrician, a physician, and absolutely passionate about aging well, but aging strongly. So I am super excited to talk to her this morning. So good morning, Kate. How are you? Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You are welcome, gorgeous girl. I would love you to talk to our listeners about strength training. I know it's a passion of yours and it's interesting because one of the things I find is that When people hear the word exercise, it can be quite a trigger for, oh, my God, not exercise because they've had sort of some maybe exercise trauma when they've been younger. But talk to us about strength training and how that, you know, is really helpful for health. So speaking of exercise trauma, when I was 16, I first joined a gym because I wanted to get fit. Now, naturally being 16 in the 90s, by fit, I meant make my body smaller. And a male gym instructor came up to me when I was doing some squats and said, be careful, you're getting bulky. Now, in the 90s, this was an okay thing for an adult man to say to a teenager. But it then stopped me doing strength training for the next couple of decades. And I think this really speaks to the external pressures women face and how hard it is for us to find our own internal drivers to exercise, to do it because we like to feel great, to do it because it matters to us. And it's only really as I head into my 40s and after I've had kids, you know, and I've learned what a rehabilitation process it is after that, that I've understood the importance of strength training. And it is why it's just so critical for women, particularly women like me, who plan on leaping out of my chair when I'm 90 to go off and have adventures. Yes. It is amazing, isn't it, that the exercise was used to keep us thin or slim or small and as a punishment for overeating sometimes. That was the other thing. If you just go and work it off was one of the phrases. So why, tell us about strength training. Like what what do you mean? I don't even like give me a rundown on what it actually means. Strength training means working your muscles against resistance. And so think about it in simple terms, it's often doing weights. And this is something I think a lot of women find really off-putting. When you walk into the weight section at a gym, it's often young men with big muscles trying to work on the guns. And what we don't think of it, which where its real value lies, is maintaining that critical muscle mass to allow us to do all the things we want to do, to protect our joints, to protect our bones, all these things that are so important in healthy ageing. Yeah. And I think the osteoporosis message has got out, you know, really well. People are aware of of the risks of having weak bones and, you know, people are out there having their calcium and their vitamin D. But if you actually stop the fall in the first place, then it's another step, isn't it, to preventing fractures and things like that? Yeah. But I think the osteoporosis message has gone out, but in a way that's way too simple. 
And it's not enough to protect your bones by just pouring in calcium and vitamin D. Bone is an active living tissue. Living bone is pink because it's got such a good blood supply. And your bone and your muscle, you need to think about them as almost one unit. And if you're a bit nerdy like me and you ever watch archaeology shows, they can look at a bone and say, well, this person used their right arm a lot because that muscle insertion on the bone, it's a big lump there. And so your bones respond to what your muscles do. So if you just sit in a chair all day while taking your calcium, this isn't enough to make your bones strong. It's not enough to tell your bone cells to keep laying down that new bone. Okay. But then people go, well, I like to go for a walk. Isn't that enough? Walking's great. I love walking. I find it really relaxing. I find it a great way to think. And aerobic exercise is definitely important. But when you start looking into what you really need to do to optimize your bones, you need two types of exercise that are really great. So one, as I already mentioned, is strength training. The other aspect is doing some impact work. Now, for women, this can be difficult, particularly women who've had some pelvic floor dysfunction, and it's often something you really do need to work up to. Starting with impact, it can be as simple as marching on the spot. And one way to work up to doing some impact is to work on that muscle strength, work on that aerobic fitness to get to a point where you can include some jumping or some more sort of impact work because that little impact, again, tells your bone cells, hang on, we need to load up here. We've got work to do. Right. Okay. So what would be, say, some practical tips for women who are thinking about embarking on a strength training or an impact training program? What what are the things that they would need to know? Number one is to check in with your pelvic floor health. Women, obviously, you know, when you have a baby, um, I had a forceps delivery, so I'm very familiar with the injuries that you can have to your pelvic floor after this. But going through menopause, when there are hormone changes, or even just for some women just having been pregnant in the first place, all of these things can mean that the pelvic floor is weak. And unfortunately in Australia, there's a real lack of routine pelvic floor recovery and physiotherapy. So I think for women who have trouble with incontinence, particularly if they cough, it's really good to check in with a pelvic floor physiotherapist before increasing your exercise. The other part of it is then doing it, starting slowly and being careful. And I think for people who are younger, I know myself when I was younger, I could just go to the gym, join any old class. But I think when you get older and if you're not as fit, you can injure yourself. And one of the things I've really learned from working with exercise physiologists is that exercise isn't about going on and just being as hardcore as possible. It's really important to build strength over time and to do it in a way that's sustainable because it's not just your muscles that get stronger. It's the connective tissue, the bit between the bone and the muscle, the bit that Um, ligaments around your knees that also need to get stronger. And this takes time. And so I think really for anyone who's wanting to do it, starting slowly and also learning to do it properly. And so my online program, I designed it with an exercise physiologist because that's someone who's got a university degree, who's really qualified, who can teach people the right technique to do things, again, to avoid injury. Great. That's that's actually really good advice because for a lot of people, the idea of doing something, they got in their brain, they go, oh my God, it's going to be 40 minutes. It's, you know, I haven't got time. It's too much. And there's this sort of resistance. But if you start off slow, you may only need to start with it five minutes. Definitely. And the other thing as well, I'm a big fan of scheduling. And so one of my 
key things for keeping my exercise in. The start of the week, I sit down, I make a schedule, I look at my diary and I put in where I'm going to do my exercise. And this way you're sort of making a commitment to yourself and you're carving out the time. And it is that feeling of knowing that exercise is key to feeling as great as possible in life and knowing that you deserve the time in your week. Yes. Yes, I love that. I think the idea that exercise is part of self-care and not part of a punishment is really critical. Our thoughts are often that exercise can be really hard or that it's going to make us hot and sweaty or that, you know, it's too cold. What, What sort of tricks do you use in your brain to sort of move forward so that you can commit to doing it regularly? I think for me, I don't think about my longevity when I'm exercising. Okay. I think about how great I'm going to feel after the workout. And I guess you could say I'm at a point where I'm a bit of an exercise addict because I really, really enjoy that exercise high. I know that I just feel so much better. I feel energized. I can concentrate. I'm more creative. I've got better ideas. I'm better at engaging with my kids. I'm just a generally more pleasant person to be around. And so for me, I think that's really important to overcoming that, you know, bit of inertia before you get started and really making it a priority. Yeah. So if someone was, say, you know, maybe they've not done any exercise for a long time, perhaps even, what would be the way they could get started Yeah, so there's definitely classes out there that cater to people who haven't exercised for a while in older age groups. Some people might want to go and see a personal trainer because that's someone who can gradually build them up, can watch them closely. Um, As I'm promoting myself, I run an online program and that's designed to be done at home with no equipment. And one of the reasons that we set this up as well is that I know that for a lot of women, one of the barriers to going to the gym is that people are conditioned that if you don't have a certain body, you should be embarrassed. And it's really awful, but this creates a barrier for women exercising, just feeling embarrassed about other people looking at them doing it. And so for some people, they will need to do something in their own home to build confidence. Yep, totally. And you can see why. I mean, when you look at you know our conditioning for what a, a woman should look like, it's pretty stylized and. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where there was all the leotards with the, you know, those thin things that sort of, you know, like the dental floss up your bottom. I kind of remember what they're called now. But, you know, it was pretty, pretty awful. So I can well understand why people would have exercise trauma. And the story that you gave early on is absolutely true where people feel that, uh, that barrier to, I guess, they're self-conscious about how they look. Yeah. And I mean, why wouldn't you be, do you know? I do think it's fantastic that there's starting to be this positivity movement and this awareness that everyone deserves to feel great and that exercise isn't about making your body smaller. It's about making you feel really good. And I think it's a really important shift, you know, but I think it's as well, it's something that we all have to do the work internally. I certainly wouldn't say that I'm completely free of my body insecurities. I'm a lot better than when I was a teenager, but it's it's a work in progress after what, you know, what we grew up with. Yeah, totally. And I think the message that I'm seeing that's coming through, which is good, is that exercising for health and to feel strong. Yeah, that's right. And the thing about doing strength training, it's actually really empowering as well. 
because, you know, you get to make those gains. And when I first started, it was just after I'd had my third child and, you know, I was basically just lying on the floor. I could have, you know, lifting my baby was it. And, you know, now I'm four years later and, you know, the weights keep going up on my deadlifts. I can squat more. And it's a fantastic way to, it's actually really helpful mentally to divorce exercise from, again, that number on the scales and making strength gains just makes it more sustainable. Yeah. Yes, totally. And I mean, in some ways, I love talking to people about even things like their basal metabolic rate, which is, you know, in simple terms, the amount of energy, which we use calories, the amount of calories your body requires just essentially lying around. So I like to call it the sort of calories for free. So I'm just lying around digesting my food, burning a whole heap of energy. Yay. Strength training increases that concept, doesn't it? Absolutely. So when you're strength training, you change your body composition and you increase your muscle mass. And this is so important for women. Women have, we have our peak muscle mass in our 30s and it gradually declines with age. And strength training is a fantastic way to offset that. And, you know, I've spoken to people in their 70s who can deadlift 100 kilograms, which I can't do. So, and that, but that has huge translations for how independent she is in life. And she did that because she went into a nursing home and she saw all the women and she thought, I want to be independent. And so when you've got more muscle mass, it doesn't just increase your basal metabolic rate. It can also decrease the risk of diabetes. There's links with having more muscle and actually improving your brain function as well. So it has these fantastic kick-on effects for your body. Yeah. And your brain which is wonderful. I think um, the idea that, and again, this is, a, I guess, a change then, and you articulated it beautifully at the start that women weren't meant to be strong in the 90s. We were meant to be just small and petite and, you know, the implication being a tiny bit weak. And now we're moving out of that. And in 2020, women are allowed to be strong both physically and I guess in personality as well which is wonderful to see so I just I do love that idea that being a strong woman is actually something to be desired not feared yeah absolutely and it's fantastically empowering getting strong it's got these fantastic implications for your life and you know it is I think it's a feminist act in a lot of ways and you know it's so damaging this idea that being thin was the most valuable thing you could be because there's almost this weakness associated with it and you know don't get me wrong there's still plenty of unrealistic body types being touted as amazing and it's even worse now in some ways because even on something like Instagram everything is airbrushed you know in the 90s we just had Dolly magazine And so we're still being sold completely unrealistic body shapes, but there are some companies starting to be more responsible. And I think this is just fantastic for women's health. Yes. I love that. Any company that is empowering women and not just using our bodies for commercial gain or selling a product, which is really what, what's been for the last 50 years, advertising has all been about. And we've known that, you know, I think the term in the 90s was, you know, sex sells. And it was all about having some sort of scantily clad girl laid across a car. We're moving, but not completely. Yeah, it's a process. But, you know, personally, when I'm looking at brands, I love seeing when you've got body diversity, you've got, you know, you've got different 
people of different skin colors, you've got people of different shapes. And I find that really appealing. I find it really off-putting now when I walk past a shop and all I see is women with really thin bodies because, you know, who relates to that? Yes, and I think that sort of thin, tall, blonde, white woman is just obviously those women exist but they are not representative of our community. Exactly, exactly. And it's just so important to have representative body types and that includes when you've got things promoting activity and exercise. Yeah. So one of the things I like to do in when I'm in my general practice is for uh, just a quick sort of strength assessment is I will get somebody to see if they can stand up out of a chair without using their hands. Is that a good measure of their lower limb strength? Oh, look, that's one of my favourites too. So when I go out to the waiting room and I call my patients, I'm there assessing. They don't realise, but the assessment has started. And it is just watching how someone can get out of a chair and walk across a room. And, you know, that's not a concern right now, you know, in our 40s, 50s, but it has such huge implications for your independence in older age. And women have a longer life expectancy than men, but with higher disability. So more likely to be, need help with activities of daily living. And that's why when you go into nursing homes, there's more women than men. And, you know, part of this is because of all these care responsibilities women have because of barriers around feeling embarrassed to exercise. And that's why it is just so important that we break these down. Yes. And that we move more and move strongly. Exactly. Wonderful. Darling, I think that this has been a wonderful chat. You have an online program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm sure that there would be listeners out there that would love to find out more. So I run an online program with an exercise physiologist, Cassandra Smith, who's actually an expert in bone and muscle aging, and it's called Project 3612. And we feel that women deserve to feel great. We think women deserve accurate health information. We think women deserve the tools they need to make positive lifestyle changes. So our program focuses on getting women's strength training, but also weekly webinars with education about important women's health topics. We've got a library of recipes as well. And we also have some resources around mental wellbeing, like Tai Chi and mindfulness. And we just really want to help women to get strong, to feel great, and to make these changes sustainable for the rest of their lives. So if they were to Google Project 3612, they will be able to find it. Is that the best way? Or if you've got a website? Yeah, the website. So www.project3612.com and it's all words. All words. Okay, beautiful. Right, darling. So if you would like to go and get strong and do it in the comfort of your own lounge room, you can Google that and you will see Dr. Kate and Cassandra and they will be guiding you to your real health and wellness. Excellent. Kate, we are going to be chatting again because I have a topic that is passionate to both you and me, and I can't wait to get started on that. See you then. So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.